Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. Anyone who wants to be president has to come through New Hampshire first, and no one covers New Hampshire politics like WMUR. I'm WMUR political director Adam Sexton, and we hope you can join us every week for this podcast. And our first live guest this morning is Colorado Senator Michael Bennett, who's made himself a very familiar face here in New Hampshire and is looking to make a big splash on Tuesday. great to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. You've spent a lot of time here in New Hampshire, but what are realistic expectations for you on the primary? I think I'd like to finish in the top three or four. I think that would be great for me. Any kind of unexpected finish would be good. I've loved being here. I've been here more than any other candidate. Yesterday, I finished my 50th town hall. That's after 33. Uh, and today I'm off to the North Country to, to Berlin and to Dixville Notch. So it's going to be cold, but it's, a, I, I think, a great way to start to finish this out. You did 50 town halls leading up to the primary here. I don't know if you're still in process. I think you finished. Just those, finished right? yesterday, Just finished. yeah. But you were stuck in Washington for the impeachment. Yeah. What was the impact, do you think, on at least your campaign? I think it hurt, but there was nothing I could do about it. And those of us that are in the Senate had a constitutional responsibility to fulfill. But I was glad to have uh, spent the time here before and have spent the time after to be able to finish it yesterday with James Carville here in Manchester. Coming out of Capitol Hill, if you're the president, either this cycle or the next, what is your relationship to the Congress going to be? Because it seems like a lot of people on Capitol Hill, they want a sort of, sort of redefinition of the separation of powers. Well, we need, we need the founders' definition of the separation of powers. We need this government to work again. It is broken. Our institutions are broken. They were broken before Donald Trump got there. He's made matters worse. I hope to establish a relationship with the American people that allows us to overcome a broken Washington. I think that's the only way we're going to fix it. New Hampshire is so much like Colorado, and it's not just the mountains. It's the fact that, you know, you're, you're, a, you're really a swing state, and Colorado is a swing state. It's a third Democratic, a third Independent, and a third Republican. And I believe that, you know, there's a 70% consensus in this country about what we should do on education, what we should do on climate, what we should do on infrastructure, what we should do on our deficit and on foreign policy. And we need a president who can tap into that and overcome the division in Washington. Speaking of Colorado, you're going to be up for re-election in 2022. How do you run that race if the president is Bernie Sanders? Well, I... (laughs) It's going to be more challenging, but I guess I would run it saying that, you know, I haven't changed my mind about much of anything Uh, in that swing state. I believe everybody in my state deserves representation. Uh, And if I've got to stand up to the president of my own party, I'll stand up to the president of my own party. So one of your ideas that's different considerably different from Senator Sanders is Medicare X. Explain again how Medicare X works. Yeah, like Bernie wrote the damn bill for Medicare for All, I wrote the public option. And the way it works is Medicare would administer a plan that everybody in New Hampshire and across the country could have a choice. If they want to buy a plan administered by Medicare, they could do that. If they want to stay in their private insurance, they could do that. We could cover everybody in America in three years, negotiate drug prices uh, on behalf of the American people. Uh, And I just think that's a much more practical solution than Bernie's. Bernie's solution would uh, raise taxes by $31 trillion for the the privilege of giving up our choice of private health insurance in this country. I just don't think that's going to happen. It didn't happen in Vermont. It didn't. Colorado, it failed 80-20 in my state. Uh, I think there's a much more plausible alternative available to us. How do Democrats, though, establishment Democrats in particular, how do you get up there on the stump and say health care is a human right and then not go all the way? The, the I, I, th- I do think health care is a human right. And I want to see universal health care as much as anybody else in this race. But 
here's what I know. I, it's not that I'm establishment Democrat. It's that I know how to get universal health care. In 2018, we flipped the House. We won 40 seats. 39 of 40 people running ran on my public option. One ran on Bernie's Medicare for All, including right here in New Hampshire. They were running on a public option. That's how you flip seats. That's how you create the opportunity to have universal health care. I don't want to spend the next 10 years fighting a losing battle for Medicare for all. There's too much else for us to do. And, um, and, and, uh, and, I, and I really think if we, if we pursue my plan, not only can we get universal health care, give the middle class a huge tax cut, lift kids out of poverty, uh, and, uh, and, and address climate change. All right, Senator Bennett, thanks, thanks for Adam. joining it's us. It's been on a Live privilege Closer. to get to know you well, in this process. It's been a lot of fun seeing you in New Hampshire, and I we'll really see how you do on Tuesday night. It. Thank you. The Flintstones. The Flintstones, weeknights at 6 on MeTV New Hampshire. Channel listings at MeTVNewHampshire.com. Our next interview, it's going to be in Studio B. This is uh, the go former governor of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. He had a, a great time at Candidate Cafe, showed us a lot of emotion. He's been on the ground here in New Hampshire a lot, and we are joined by uh, former governor Deval Patrick. I Hill. apologize for not standing, but I'm all connected here. I know, I hear you. I, hear, I love the boots, Thank too. You. This is, those are awesome. It's a good day for him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How are you? Good. How are good. you? I'm great. I'm so great. you're probably tired of getting asked the question about <laughs> getting into the race late. But do you wonder sometimes what if, if the circumstances in your life you know with what? your family, that might, might, what might have you happened? You folks need to put that late thing uh, aside. Nobody's voted. I may be late, but I'm ready. And that's the difference, right? I'm, I, I have, I'm the only one in this race who's actually delivered health care to 99% of the people I served. I'm the only one in this race who's developed a uh, response to the cri climate crisis. Indeed, uh, I was saying last night uh, at the, uh, in the speeches we did at the, uh, uh, at the uh, McIntyre Shaheen dinner, we achieved the goals of the Paris Accord six years ago. Um, I'm the only one in the race who uh, has delivered um, on sentencing reform, who's uh, delivered on terrific schools for our kids, including closing uh, achie achievement gaps. I'm the only one in the, in the, uh, in the race who's actually grown jobs, 25% uh, 25 year uh, employment high coming out of uh, recession. So that matters in terms of doing the job. I think in terms of beating uh, uh, President Trump, look, I've also built coalitions, right? I'm, I'm very much a believer in a politics that says you don't have to agree on everything before we work together on anything. And uh, I'm in the race, late or not, because it is in fact true that there are many, many people who are either uh, uncommitted or unconvinced. Um, and I understand that, and I think I can fill uh, that void, void if we get people to come out and vote. There's been a lot of conversation, and some say a lot of agree it's a necessary conversation about the lack of diversity at the front end of the nominating process in the yeah. calendar here in Iowa and New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. And certainly we've seen like, a lot of candidates of color kind of fall by the wayside in this mm -hmm. race. From your perspective, though, do you feel like New Hampshire has given you a fair shot? I think New Hampshire has been great. I'm, I've, I have been in the state more than any other candidate. I've met tens of thousands of voters, and I've met them in the way that both I and I think the people of New Hampshire like to be met, which is in a very personal and intimate way, smaller crowds where you could actually have a conversation uh, with people, and uh, and I think they see that I'm a good listener. I'm paying attention. I'm learning about uh, uh, the issues in common with other parts of the country um, and the differences in uh, in regions. Of course, this is not my first time in New Hampshire. I've been right. uh, I've been coming and going for you know 40 plus years. Mm -hmm. 
You are an alum of the Justice Department. I am. And I'm curious to get your take on the status of the rule of law in the United States mm. right now in the wake of the impeachment trial. Is it as dire, do you think, as Democrats are making it out to be? Well, it is definitely, um, it has definitely been undermined. I think the, uh, it'd be one thing if we'd had the impeachment processes in the House and a full record uh, developed without the uh, conspicuous and intentional obstruction by the White House and by the administration in that process. And then when given the opportunity to, uh, to bring in more witnesses and, uh, and evidence in the Senate, uh, the Senate made a very par partisan uh, decision uh, not to do so. So that is worrisome. We can't have... Um, and the founders intended that we not have a system where uh, we were all kind of bowing, the, uh, bending the knee uh, to, uh, uh, to a monarch. We have to have a system that is bound by law. And uh, I'm afraid this president has shown over and over again his lack of respect uh, for law, his lack of respect for those who are responsible for enforcing it if it is enforced in any way that uh, the outcome of which he doesn't approve of. Got a little bit of time left. What's your goal for Tuesday night? Where do you want to finish? I want to finish at the top. And uh, you'll smile uh, because you've been uh, awash in that, uh, in that late narrative for so long. Um, but look, I, I, know that, uh, uh, I know that coming out of uh, New Hampshire um, at or near the top uh, changes everything uh, for our campaign because it puts to bed that late uh, narrative once and for all. Uh, and it's a, uh, uh, it's a vote of confidence uh, for others elsewhere in the country. I get that. And so we're working really, really hard. We had a great crowd out last night at the, at the uh, McIntyre Shaheen event. And, uh, and they'll be out canvassing. I'm launching canvases all over the state today and tomorrow, uh, making sure that we get out our vote and that people are, are, uh, are clear in their commitments and clear that they have an option that can both win and deliver. That speech last night actually brought people back into their seats. Thank you. Governor Deval Patrick, thanks that. for joining us. Thank Time now for a MeTV Entertainment Quiz. What is the most memorable TV show on MeTV? Is it MASH, The Brady Bunch, Carol Burnett, Perry Mason, Gilligan's Island, The Andy Griffith Show? The answer is yes. They're all memorable entertainment. Watch all these and more on MeTV. MeTV New Hampshire is on Comcast Channel 945, Atlantic Broadband 299, and over the air on Digital Channel 9.2. She's got a bit of a home court advantage here, and her organizing power was on full display last night at the Democrats' 100 Club dinner, but she's fighting for votes right now down the home stretch. Senator Elizabeth Warren, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's good to be here. So I want to ask you a question about language. Uh, one of the words you use a lot is fight. Yeah. And yet there are a lot of people out there who are conflict averse, right? They're almost afraid of it, and they don't want to go there. How do you win over those people who hear you talk and they like you, but maybe they're tired of fighting? You know. I think about this as who you're fighting for. I, I remember watching my mother fight to save our family after my daddy had a heart attack. Um, I remember watching my three brothers, uh, none of whom had college diplomas, fight for their place in America's middle class. I remember uh, when I had my first big full-time teaching job and lost health care and nearly fell completely off the rails and fight for my job. And you know, I picked a fight to get a Consumer Financial Protection Bureau passed so big banks can't cheat people on mortgages and credit cards. This isn't about fighting for fighting's sake. This isn't about fighting with other politicians. This is about fighting 
to protect our families and fighting to build the kind of America that we want to see. Your anti-corruption plan. Yes. Are there any of your colleagues in the U.S. Senate who are currently in violation, perhaps, of some of the laws that you're proposing? Certainly. I mean, that's the whole point, is to pass laws to say that we have to make changes. And, for example, one of my parts on this plan is every single person who runs for federal office would have to put their tax returns online. You know, that just exposes what's going on financially. Uh, a, this anti-corruption plan is about beating back the influence of money in Washington. Because the problem we've got right now is government keeps working better and better and better for those at the top. And it has a real effect. So think about it this way. Uh, more than 90% of Americans want to see us pass some sensible gun registration, say uh, legislation, just background checks, get assault weapons off the street, and yet we cannot get a vote in the United States Senate. And the question, why? Because the gun industry has more power than 90% of America. Same sort of thing on prescription drugs. How many people have run for office and said, I want to reduce the cost of prescription drugs, all just terrible, and yet year after year after year, Nobody passes anything in Congress. Why? Because of the power of the drug industry. So the way I approach this is I say, look, the influence of money in Washington is affecting us all. It's affecting everyone's family. Anything you care about, if there's a decision to be made in Washington, it's being influenced by money. Instead of just playing defense, I've got a big plan to let us go on offense and at least disrupt much of the influence of money. And then we can make the kind of changes that people want to see in their lives. Cancel student loan debt, get universal child care, a two cent wealth tax, increase social security payments by $200 a month. Make this country work not just for those at the top, make it work for everyone. You mentioned the gun issue, and we got to talk about uh -huh. that on the debate stage on Friday night. You proposed a pretty significant tax increase on ammunition. Uh -huh. and so many of your plans are about lifting up people of lower income and disadvantaged uh -huh. communities, but that tax is probably going to fall disproportionately on their shoulders. Why target them with something like that that's going to make it harder for them to access Second Amendment rights and perhaps alienate some of the voters that you need to win back from President Trump to win in 2020? So as you heard me, when I talked about... Uh, we have a gun violence problem in America. And that means it's about mass shootings. It's also about shootings that occur on sidewalks and playgrounds. Um, it disproportionately hits communities of color but never raises a headline. It's about suicides and the lethality of suicides. And it is about uh, domestic violence and the much increased odds that a woman will be killed if she's in a place with an abuser who, and there's also a gun in the home. So I approach this as a public health issue. And I'm constantly looking for and want us to look for as a country, how can we bring down deaths by gun? And you try different approaches, you test them, you see what works. One of the ones, for example, yes, some of them are obvious. We should have background checks. Um, and get assault weapons off the street. Some are not so obvious. It turns out that a short waiting period to buy a gun reduces death by suicide, uh, uh, gun uh, deaths by suicide. So I just see this as let's keep trying the pieces, see what works. 
we have to treat this as a public health problem, not a one and done, Senator and we're going to fix this. we got a lot to do today. Oh, thanks so, so much, much for joining do. us. It's so good to up. see you. Thank we'll you. We'll see you on Tuesday. Our next guest decided to pull back from campaigning in Iowa to dedicate time here to New Hampshire. Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard joins us now live. It's great to see you. Thanks for being here. Thank so you. it's actually looking pretty smart that you backed out of Iowa now to spend your time after that debacle there with the caucuses. That's still ongoing. Right. And what is your read there and what should happen next in regards to that? Uh, I think the biggest disservice of everything that has gone on in Iowa has been to Iowa voters people who took their time to go in and cast their votes so that their voices would, would be heard both in Iowa and across the country. And still, as we sit here today, there are questions and being called into the accuracy of the tallies of certain places across Iowa and, and the inability for them to uh, really have their voices heard in a resounding way. Um, look, ultimately, this is a failure of leadership. And I think the DNC chair, Tom Perez, should resign. It's, it's both because of what we've seen happen in Iowa, but also over the last several months, the growing skepticism that I hear from Democrat voters that this primary will actually be carried out in a fair way where voters can can get the information that they need to make the best choice and who should be our Democratic nominee and ultimately who should be our next president, commander in chief. So you're calling on the chairman to resign. Do you think he has his finger in the scale in some way on this process right now? Uh, it, it points to the DNC, as I've said for a long time, unfortunately trying to hold their own pre-primary process before any voters have actually had the ability to cast their vote. Uh, I saw a statement that was made leading up to Iowa saying, hey, we've been preparing for this moment for three years. We are ready. This is going to be great. And yet, you know, we're days after Iowa still and we're seeing that's actually not the case. Hmm. Uh, you're suing Hillary Clinton for defamation. And yes. I know you can't talk too much about the case, but the reasoning behind it, she essentially alleged you're uh, or hinted that you're a Russian asset in a podcast interview. Why fight this in court rather than sort of the realm of public opinion? Um, we asked her for a detraction and an apology, got no response, and she didn't do that. Uh, what she did was not a small thing. You know, I've seen a lot of headlines and people are saying, oh, you know, this doesn't seem like a big deal, but this is my life that we're talking about. I have dedicated my entire adult life to serving our country, putting my life on the line to do so, uh, serving in the military now for almost 17 years, deploying twice to the Middle East, serving in Congress now for over seven years, uh, having access to the highest classified uh, briefings, working with world leaders, actually helping to make decisions about the future of our nation's military. And, and for her to make this, um, this accusation really goes to devalue the essence of who I am and the, the oath of loyalty that I have taken to our country. Uh, this can't, allow, can't be allowed to go unchecked uh, because this is about bigger than me. This is about uh, saying that it's okay to devalue the service and the honor and the sacrifice that every one of our servicemen and women make in this country. Speaking of finding value, you seem to have really found a lot of people here in New Hampshire in that sort of live free or die way that we have. Yes. A lot of our undeclared and independent voters have resonated with Tulsi Gabbard. 
Do you expect to get enough of them, though, on Election Day? We're working hard. We're working hard to make that so. Uh, yeah, you know, we, we'll be out. Uh, we've got two town halls today, uh, another tomorrow, and we're, we're making the case, continuing to reach out to all New Hampshire voters, inviting them to come and join our campaign, really because we're hearing the call for a new generation of leadership. I bring that new perspective, that fresh perspective, but also voters want a leader with experience, someone who can walk in prepared to serve as commander-in-chief on day one and someone who has the experience to be able to work with Congress, work across party lines. I have both. Bringing that experience, I have both from my service in the Army National Guard, my service in Congress, uh, working for six years as a Democrat with a Republican majority and actually able to get legislation passed. I'm prepared to lead our country, heal these divides and bring the American people together based on our common love for our country and the knowledge that when we stand together, we can accomplish anything. All right, Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, thanks Thank for joining you. us on Live Close Up. You're practically a Granite you. State neighbor now, so <laughs> we'll see you at the these next couple of days. Yes. Life's beautiful moments, sunsets, landscapes, wildlife. That's WMUR's You Local Facebook group. Join this growing community and browse the stunning images captured by viewers like you or share your own. Get started at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash WMUR9. Go to groups and join You Local. See you there. Uh, another youthful candidate. There's been a lot of a new generation of leadership coming up in this race. And now we're going to be joined in Studio A by former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg. I'll watch my step getting up here. Thanks for being here. Watch the mic there. You stand up. Uh, so, Mr. Mayor, uh, very serious ad from uh, the Biden campaign coming out against you. Uh, in, in some ways, uh, I mean, it's, I think it's safe to use the word sort of belittling uh, the achievements that you've done in South Bend, Indiana. It's safe to say I've seen your reaction there. You're insulted. Well, uh, I think it's trivializing the experience of local communities at the exact moment when it's our communities looking for somebody to carry our voices to Washington. I understand that the work that's happening on the ground in industrial cities like mine, rural communities or neighborhoods in the biggest cities seems small from the perspective of the Washington establishment. But to us, <laughs> I think it's Washington that's looking pretty small minded at a time like this. And that's part of the idea of this campaign, that we are bringing those voices to Washington, getting Washington to start looking and working like our best run cities and towns before it starts happening the other way around. But I'm not focused on political attacks right now. I'm focused on engaging with New Hampshire voters who have that famous independent streak, who are looking at their options even now, who think for themselves and connecting. And we're putting in the work. I think we did seven events the other day. We'll be across the state all the way until uh, the end of, of polling on Tuesday. And we feel a tremendous amount of momentum momentum. Uh, it's not just poll numbers. Our volunteers last night as we spoke at the uh, Democratic dinner uh, had uh, just an amazing level of enthusiasm in the hall there and think we're very well positioned to show, not just tell, our ability to win an election. You've probably given a lot of thought to this, but what is the best way to convey that you're ready to be the president of the United States. It's that I'm offering a different experience. Look, if you're looking for the person with the most years in the Washington establishment, of course you've got your pick and it's not me. But I would say that the experience on the ground turning around a struggling community uh, and my experience as a veteran, uh, understanding foreign policy, not just through having studied it, but from the perspective of somebody who was sent to war by orders that came out of that situation room. That's exactly the kind of perspective we need to bring to a Washington that feels incredibly increasingly disconnected from our everyday realities. 
When all of the Democrats are on that debate stage uh, talking about how racist the criminal justice system is, how do you think the police officers in the building are feeling? Well, I think uh, it's very important for us to recognize that this is a systemic challenge. Policing does have to go through a lot of changes, but uh, we can't just expect uh, any police officer or any police department or any city to fix this on their own. Uh, you know, we had a discussion about racial disparities in arrests and sentencing when it comes to marijuana, for example. I believe the only way we'll actually fix uh, the issue around marijuana is to legalize it outright. This is a systemic problem, hundreds of years in the making, and we need to recognize that all of us have a responsibility to do something to fix it. When you talk about Medicare for all who want it, sometimes you sort of hint at, oh, maybe we'll get there someday to the full uh, mm -hmm. scope of uh, full public paid health care. But is there a time frame for that? I mean, are you, are you assuming that will happen in, in sort of a distant future or is that something that you anticipate, say, by the end of your administration? Can you give us a better timeline on, on that and what you're right. saying when you say, yeah, we could get there? Yeah, this is exactly my point. I think the timeline should not be decided in Washington. I think it should be decided by the American people. I think that this public plan I'm, I'm proposing we create, that we call Medicare for all who want it, is going to be so good, so desirable, so attractive that everybody will switch to it. And if I'm right, then it's Medicare for all. But I'm not willing to assume that I'm right. I'm not willing to order anybody to take up this plan if they'd rather be on a different plan. And uh, this question of timing, uh, you know, I'm, I'm concerned when some of the other candidates say, well, in this many years, then we'll throw the switch. I don't think that's any more respectful of individual choice than uh, saying we'll throw the switch on day one. I want the American people to decide. You can vote with your feet and uh, Americans will tell us how long, if ever, it will take to make that transition. Do you need to win the New Hampshire primary on Tuesday in order to really send this thing to the nomination for Well, you. we need a strong finish, but I also know that I'm competing against two senators from neighboring states, uh, New Englanders with a, uh, a lot of resources and a lot of name rec recognition. But still, uh, based on what we're seeing with our volunteers, with the energy on the ground, and uh, I think the effectiveness of our vision of bringing everyone into this struggle together, not just unified around who we're against with Donald Trump, but what it is we're for and delivering a better future to turn the page for this country, uh, that message I think will carry us to a big night on Tuesday. All right, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, thanks for joining us. Thanks. We'll see you out there on the trail. The Flintstones. The Flintstones, weeknights at 6 on MeTV New Hampshire. Channel listings at MeTVNewHampshire.com. He's the only major Republican taking on President Trump in the New Hampshire primary, and he certainly has an uphill battle. But Governor Bill Weld has been campaigning here a lot, and he's our next guest on Live Closer. Adam, great to be with you. Governor, Thank you. thanks for joining us. So what has been the single greatest obstacle to your ability to challenge President Trump here in New Hampshire? Well, I think as in other states, the Republican state party, state committee, is the Trump organization. So you can't actually apply there for relief because they've been instructed to try to deny relief. In fact, they tried to shut down the first in the nation primary last year. Uh, that kind of went over like a lead balloon. So I like to say that the people of New Hampshire were the first people to stand up to President Trump last year when they refused to let him shut down their primary. Of course, six or seven other states said, OK, we'll do whatever you say, Mr. President. And yet, do you feel you've taken full advantage here or been impeded in any way? Because the Republican State Party has said they've let you have free reign here to kind of do your thing. No, I think that's right. I, I don't think there's any physical uh, impeding at all. And we've been here, we've had a couple hundred uh, you know, sessions up here, separate 
separate uh, separate meetings, separate days. So I think uh, we've campaigned here as as we wanted to, certainly much more than anywhere else. Mm. You are arguably the most fiscally conservative candidate running between the Democrats and the Republicans. Well, right that's now. been certified. <laughs> How do you approach that conversation with? Republicans who support President Trump in terms of spending. Well, I make no bones about being an economic conservative. That's always what uh, used to be a calling card of the Republican Party. Uh, and uh, one of the first uh, issues that uh, is always on my lips is the trillion dollar deficits. It's not just President Trump. It's almost everyone else in Washington who rolls over for these things. And uh, as you may remember, Adam, when I was in office, uh, I uh, had a motto that uh, there's no such thing as government money. There's only uh, taxpayer money. No one in Washington understands that, and particularly not the president. And unless you unless you have that point of view, it's very hard to, to trim the budget. But I took our budget from 16 percent deficit to imbalance in two months. How do you get in this great economy, though? It seems kind of, you know, how are people going to respond to that if you come in there with this austerity thing and you're cutting down, you know, the budget for things that no, people... Nobody would notice it. Nobody would notice a thing. You know, when we uh, balanced the budget and eliminated the deficit in Massachusetts, uh, we did it without any violence to social spending whatsoever. We, we uh, contracted out a bunch of social services to the private sector and saved $300 million in the process by and improving services at the same time. How do you get Republicans to come around on climate change? I know this is something you talk about a lot. Is there any work that you do when you're speaking to a sort of an on-the-fence GOP voter to try and convince them uh, to do something on climate change? I'll tell you, I've been at a number of sessions, including with the Democratic candidates and impartial voters in the audience, and they say, wow, we didn't know it was so, so easy. We thought it was really complicated. Uh, and my program is to put a price on carbon and have the uh, coal companies, the oil companies, uh, mining companies, the polluters, if you will, pay that until it gets to a price where they don't want to put any more carbon into the atmosphere. Not just saying, I'm going to throw $16.3 trillion at it. That's not identifying what has to be done. But a detailed plan, and I've got that. And when people hear that, they're favorably impressed. Not necessarily died-in-the-world Trump voters, but the populace at large. Do you go on being a Republican after this race? Well, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to the Republican Party if the president were to be reelected. It's not going to be a pretty sight. Uh, I think if he is reelected, uh, it's possible the Republican Party might split in half. Um, but that's uh, that, that's kind of uh, trying to call the shot before it happens. All right. Governor Bill Weld. Okay. Thanks so thanks much, for joining John. us here on Live Close Up. We appreciate your time. Time now for a MeTV Entertainment Quiz. What is the most memorable TV show on MeTV? Is it MASH, The Brady Bunch, Carol Burnett, Perry Mason, Gilligan's Island, The Andy Griffith Show? The answer is yes. They're all memorable entertainment. Watch all these and more on MeTV. MeTV New Hampshire is on Comcast Channel 945, Atlantic Broadband 299, and over the air on Digital Channel 9.2. Our next guest made an impassioned speech the other night at the Democratic debate where he said the only thing that really separates the candidates on the stage is who can beat the president in a general election. Businessman Tom Steyer joins us now. Thanks for joining us. Adam, it's great to see you again. So tell us, that was a pretty strong showing for you in that debate. What kind of momentum are you hoping for here in New Hampshire out of that stage? Look, I think I was making a very specific point, which is this. We've been talking as if the Democrat is going to win for sure. And it's very obvious at this point that Mr. Trump can be reelected, that he's running on the economy, and that we can beat him, but if we're gonna beat him, we've gotta be able to beat him on the economy. And that was the point I was trying to make, is we have got to focus as 
primary voters and as a party in choosing a candidate who first and foremost can beat Donald Trump and can take him down on the economy, which I can do because I have a 30-year history in the private sector of figuring out what creates growth, what creates prosperity, what creates jobs, and he's going to accuse us. You know, you saw it in the union leader, I'm sure, the other day where he took out a full-page ad. Half of it was, Democrats will kill New Hampshire jobs, and the other half was how great he was. And no one can ever say that I'm a socialist who can't create jobs because that's ridiculous. And secondly, I have the experience and the expertise to show that he's terrible for Americans. Well, what do you mean economy. when you say taking him on on the economy? When the economy's good, how do you challenge him on that front? Well, Adam, it is, I call this the Mar-a-Lago economy. It's great for the people at Mar-a-Lago. There's been growth, but all the extra income has gone to rich people. There's low unemployment. But you, at $7.25, you can't live on the jobs that this economy creates. He always talks about the stock market. At Mar-a-Lago, the stock market is a critical aspect of you know, their spending. But 85% of the stocks are owned by the top 10%. For most Americans, the stock market doesn't matter. And it's mostly up because he absolutely cut taxes for the biggest corporations. You know, the average corporations pay 11% on their, of income tax on their income. That is a ridiculously no number, low number, and Amazon pays virtually no taxes. The company owned by the richest man in the world pays virtually no taxes. This is the Mar-a-Lago economy. It's good on the surface, but look under the hood, and what you see is a president who gave the biggest tax giveaway ever, over a trillion dollars, to rich people and big corporations, and he said, that he's going to balance the deficit that he blew up with this tax giveaway on the backs of working people. That he's going to go after Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security, the entitlements, the basics of American life. He's going to cut so he can justify this huge tax giveaway to rich people. You were one of the strongest remaining climate uh, candidates on climate change in terms of bringing it up repeatedly in debates and other venues. If you're the president, is this going to be like an Apollo program, but... Uh, in terms of trying to attack climate change, but what's the technology? Do you have any ideas in terms of technology that is going to help here, sort of defray the cost for the American people? Okay, so let's take a step back a couple of different places here, Adam. First of all, I'm the only candidate who's saying it's my number one priority. I'm saying I will do it from the standpoint of environmental justice that will start in the black and brown communities and clean up the air and water there, because that's where this society concentrates its poison. I've also said that doing this will create more than four and a half million good paying union jobs every year that will have the highest percentage of union participation in our workforce since 1945. But then I want to get to your assumption in your question that somehow this is going to cost something. You want to know something? Clean energy is cheaper than fossil fuel energy. Are we going to have continuing technological breakthroughs? Sure we are. It's cheaper right now and it will only get cheaper. We're going to be better paid we're going to have cleaner air and cleaner water. We're going to have cheaper energy. We're going to grow faster. This isn't a question of, oh, we have to sacrifice for this. You know who has to sacrifice for this? ExxonMobil. They appear to own the government. This isn't a question of this is going to be bad in any way for the American people. We've said my plan puts money aside to make sure we hold constant the pay, the health care, and the retirement for people working in declining fossil fuel industries. We're not going to solve this on the backs of working people in fossil fuel industries. But we can do this and it's gonna be a huge boon to the American economy. What Mr. Mr. Trump is stuck because these fossil fuel companies own his government, 
They own his party. It's going to hurt ExxonMobil, but it's going to be great for the American people. Mr. Steyer, we thank you for your time. Adam Sexton. We'll see you back out on the trail. Thank you. All right. The Flintstones. The Flintstones, weeknights at 6 on MeTV New Hampshire. Channel listings at MeTVNewHampshire.com. In 2016, New Hampshire felt the burn, and Senator Bernie Sanders defeated Hillary Clinton in a landslide. But this time around, there are a lot more candidates, and the results are certainly going to be closer. Senator Bernie Sanders is our guest this morning on Live Close-Up. Good to be with you. Thanks for being here. So there's been a lot of talk on that debate stage about your likability. Is there going to be an effort in any way to show a kinder, gentler Bernie Sanders if you're the nominee? Oh, Adam, absolutely (laughs) there will. (laughs) Look, you know, people say crazy things during uh, campaigns. Um, I think if you look at some of the polling for nationally for U.S. senators, guess who comes on top? as being the most popular United States senator in America, uh, often it's me. So I think what we have got to focus on is the real issues facing the working families of this country, why so many of our people are working for inadequate wages, why we're the only major country on earth not to guarantee health care to all people and not worry about likability stuff. Yeah, but let's talk about this because there's a very real possibility you could be the nominee. Will there be any effort? And that's sort of the traditional, they teach that in the poli-sci classes. You know, they, you get the nomination and you move a little bit more toward the center. Is that even possible for someone like you or is that antithetical to your movement? Here's what I think. I don't, I don't like the words the center, the left, the right. But I think is you got to focus on the issues. And I think the issues that we are talking about resonate with people all over this country. Go out on the streets. Ask the people in New Hampshire, should we raise the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour? They will say yes. Is the time that we guaranteed health care to all people? Yes, it is. Should we make public colleges and universities tuition free so that all of our kids have an opportunity for a higher rate? Yes. Do we ask the wealthiest people in this country to start paying their fair share of taxes at a time? Massive income and wealth inequality? Yes. So I think the issues that we are raising will talk to people all across this country who understand that there's something wrong in a system where so few have so much and so many have so little. Take us through that transition to Medicare for all. There's yes. going to be some dislocation. How much is going to have to be spent on ensuring that people aren't harmed too much by the transition? We build in one of the reasons, Adam, that we spend twice as much per person on health care uh, as our Canadian neighbors or people all over Europe is that we have a massively complicated and dysfunctional system in which we have thousands of separate insurance plans that require hundreds of billions of dollars to administer. The advantage of a Medicare for all is everybody's in the same program. It is comprehensive. You go to any doctor you want, a four year transition period. Will some people lose their jobs? Yes, more people will gain jobs because when we open the door for healthcare for all, we're gonna need more doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals. We build into our Medicare for All a, what we call a transition of fund to help those people who lose their jobs get into healthcare or get into other jobs. Anticipating a future line of attack from President Trump, is there anything you've said or done in your past in relation to foreign governments or regimes in terms of support that you now regret or would want to retract? Look, here is the painful reality. And I think I speak for people all across the political spectrum. Trump is a pathological liar. He will say anything about me or Joe Biden or anybody else that comes to his mind. Doesn't have to be true. So 
you know, you have a president when you talk about foreign policy. This is a guy who has said very kind things about Kim Jong-un, who is a mass murderer in North Korea. He loves Vladimir Putin, who's been, who is an autocrat, who has been involved in political assassinations in Russia. So I'm not quite sure how he's going to be criticizing me. On foreign policy, nuclear disarmament, who are you calling up uh, in the White House to try and work with on, on that first? Do you think you can trust a Putin or whoever's leading Russia at that point to try and reduce the number well, of nuclear weapons? I think weapons? it gets back to what Ronald Reagan said, trust but verify. Um, you know, we have half a million people sleeping out on the streets today. Half of our people are living paycheck to paycheck. I don't want to be spending huge amounts of money on nuclear weapons. I don't want to be spending more than the te 10 next countries combined on the military. I want to be investing in rebuilding our infrastructure, making sure all of our kids have a good education. So I think we have got to work with countries all over the world who have similar problems. Let's invest in the people of the world. Let's invest in combating climate change, not stop putting more money into nuclear weapons or other forms of killing people. So this is an international issue where I feel very strongly about. You are set to do very well uh, on Tuesday night. Pretty safe to say. Well, that. I hope so. Do you guarantee it? Well, I'm not guaranteeing anything. The right. polls indicate you're probably going to finish in that one-two area. What's next for you? Are you looking to Super Tuesday beyond this? Or are you going to try and knock down Nevada, South Carolina? Are you Absolutely. Try and run the we, have, we have, I mean, uh, let me give a word of thanks. I don't know how well we'll do on Tuesday here. I certainly hope we're going to win. Uh, but we have, as we speak right now, Thousands of people knocking on doors, handing out literature, uh, using social media, making phone calls, doing all the things you have to win. And we're doing the same thing in Nevada, which is the uh, next uh, election up. Then we go to South Carolina. We go to Super Tuesday. So we have, and one of the reasons I feel good about uh, our possibilities is that we have the strongest grassroots movement nationally, I think, than any, any candidate out there. All right, Senator Bernie Sanders, thank you for your time. Thank you very much. We'll see you on Tuesday night. We're going to move along to another Senate candidate or Senate uh, ca based candidate and colleague of Senator Sanders. We heard them talking about their amendments they worked on together in the debate last night. Was it Klobuchar Sanders or Sanders Klobuchar on the amendment? And we can ask her right now. Hey, hey Senator there, Amy Adam. Klobuchar. How are you? Uh, Good to see you. Thanks for joining us. It's great to be on. So, uh, this race has been an interesting one to watch because we've seen a candidate like you come in here to New Hampshire and build and build and build, and now it feels like you've got some momentum. I do. But <laughs> is it enough, having been stuck in Washington with that impeachment, do you feel like that tripped you up in some way? Here? Uh, no, because I am here now on the ground. Uh, we're seeing incredible crowds at our events. I've gotten the endorsements of the union leader, Keen Sentinel, and then the Seacoast papers like Portsmouth Herald. Um, and then we just had a poll today that I'm in third place, a public poll. Um, so we are really excited. And I think part of it is people have gotten to know me, uh, my case that I can bring in voters uh, that are independent, moderate Republican. I'm the only one on the debate stage that has done that consistently time and time again. And that I love New Hampshire and I love the voters here and I've asked for their support. Um, I think part of it is my closing at the debate. Uh, made the point like we got a president that doesn't have any empathy and I use that old story of FDR that when he died they put his body on a train track and he was on that train and people would stand up on the uh, train tracks to show their respect on the sides and one guy had his hat in his hand and he was sobbing and a reporter says to him sir did you know President Roosevelt the guy says no I, I didn't know the president but he knew me he knew me that's what's missing from President Trump, this sacred trust between the people and the president. Let's say you get in office, though. Do you think that you're going to somehow 
keep these Republicans with you? Because maybe if they oppose President Trump, but then once you start to enact a Democratic agenda, don't we just fall back into the same partisan trenches that this country has been stuck in for so long? I won't let that happen. Um, in part, I put my agenda out there. So when I bring Republicans with me, they know what I'm going to do. Uh, work on climate change, do something about prescription drug prices, make it easier for people to afford college. A lot of those issues have brought everyone together in the past, and we can do it again. A lot of this is decency, patriotism, bringing people together. And I think one of the issues is what's going on in the U.S. Senate with Mitch McConnell. And I think I can win big enough by winning back the U.S. Senate if I'm on top of the ticket uh, that we're going to send him packing. And at the same time, I'll continue to work with Republicans where I can find common ground. I think that's a New Hampshire way. We were just talking to Senator Sanders about his Medicare for All plan. You were sort of taking a step back from that and saying, hey, wait a second, you don't even have the votes in the U.S. Senate. He doesn't. Will there, I mean, even if he tried to push as hard as he could, is he going to win over enough Democrats or is this, he's looking at basically 30-ish percent support? You know, I think it's a matter of policy. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there that are Democrats, um, union members, um, Republicans, independents. They don't want to kick 149 million people off their current health insurance in four years. That is what that bill said. I read it. That's why I didn't get on it. I think we should build on the Affordable Care Act. It's nearly 10 points more popular than President Trump. I mean, so why would you blow it up? Here's what you do. You put in a nonprofit public option to bring the prices down, something Barack Obama wanted to do from the beginning. You build on it by finally doing something on mental health and addiction, something I've led on, given my personal experience with my dad struggling with alcoholism my whole life growing up. And then you do something about long-term care. New Hampshire is a state where you've got a lot of seniors and you also have their kids that want them to retire with dignity. So that means everything from housing to long-term care insurance to strong social security and Medicaid. It's an issue no one's talking about and I'm the one that's gonna take it on and I actually think it's a great opportunity to help people. On that debate stage, uh, you were challenging Mayor Pete Buttigieg as the quote, cool newcomer. Now, <laughs> some people in New Hampshire might feel that way about you, but yeah, you don't I'm think a fresh he has face. Enough, I, I think 59 is the new 38, right. I say. You just to don't the think mayor. he has enough experience. Right. So I think, one, when you're dealing with the president that went in there with no experience, uh, we can see what's happened. Two, uh, we need someone that can win statewide countrywide. And um, unfortunately, that hasn't happened. The mayor's won his city, uh, which is a liberal city, uh, but he has never won statewide. When he tried, he lost by 20 points. That's just a fact. We've debated that on the debate stage. And that's in one state. So I'm the one with the receipts that can bring people with me. I think that's why we have growing momentum in New Hampshire. And the most important thing, I've passed over 100 bills as a lead Democrat in the U.S. Senate. Love your senators, Gene Shaheen and Maggie Hassan. I'm ready to win. All right, Senator Amy Thank Klobuchar, you. thanks for joining us on appreciate Live close up, close up, we appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us for WMUR's The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. If you have a moment and can write a review or subscribe to this podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it. You can also find us on WMUR.com and our free WMUR app 24-7. See you for the next episode of this podcast next week.